you're calling in today. Welcome to episode five of Terminal's AMA series, where you can connect with the industry's brightest minds from some of the most innovative companies and get their thoughts on the ever-changing tech landscape and all things related to the future of work. We're thrilled to welcome today's featured guest, founder and CEO of Alaria and TED Talk alumnus, Paolo Gaudiano. He'll be joined in a conversation on diversity and inclusion in the era of COVID-19 with Terminal's Director of Partnerships, Raquel Cross. I'll let our wonderful co-hosts introduce themselves further in just a bit, but before that, a quick reminder on a few housekeeping items. All AMAs are live streamed and recorded on YouTube. The recording will be available to view at the conclusion of today's discussion. We also upload each episode as a podcast if you want to listen again while preparing tonight's dinner. Just search for Terminal's AMA however you listen to your podcasts. A number of sub submitted questions uh, were submitted today and Paolo will be sure to get to those. But if you have additional questions over the course of the conversation, please type them into the Q&A Zoom function and we'll get to as many as we can over the course of the call. With that said, there's a lot to get to, so I'll pass it over to Raquel, who will introduce herself and to our special guest for today. Thank you. Thanks, Dorian. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Raquel here with Terminal. In case you're not familiar with us, we're an expansion partner that helps companies recruit, hire, and operate remote engineering teams across Canada and Mexico. Joining us today is the amazing Paolo, co-founder and CEO of Valeria. Uh, Paolo, welcome, and, and thank you so much for joining. Please tell us a little bit about your incredible experience and journey into the world of DNI. Thank you, Raquel. And first of all, I would like to thank you and uh, the rest of the Terminal team for inviting me to do this. This is wonderful. And I also want to thank all of the attendees. I know these days everybody's getting bombarded with invitations to uh, join Zoom, you know, for all kinds of topics. And the fact that you're taking your time to listen to us speak today is uh, very flattering. Really appreciate that. And I want to, you know, just very briefly, I am, uh, I am not your, your stereotypical DNI expert. Uh, not just because of my race and gender, you know, I'm your, your very, you know, kind of straight, white, uh, cisgender man, but also because I came into this from a really unusual angle, which is from an angle of analytics and research. And I began my career as a professor teaching uh, AI, neural networks, robotics at Boston University, started 30 years ago, actually. And then um, I spent about nine years or so in academia and then became an entrepreneur was involved with a lot of consulting. And, and over the course of the years, I did uh, a tremendous amount of work on analyzing people systems, which by which I mean any kind of, whether it's companies or cities or traffic on a highway uh, for marketing purposes, for workforce purposes. And then about five years ago, five and a half years ago, I had this kind of light bulb moment where I realized that there was an opportunity to combine the work that I'd done with my personal interest in diversity and inclusion. So I literally dropped everything that I was doing, spent about a year doing research and getting up to speed, and then eventually uh, ended up becoming involved with three different entities. And I have uh, co-founders at each of the entities. In fact, two of my co-founders are on, I believe, are on the webinar right now. And uh, one of them is a uh, Alaria, which is a, a small for-profit company that focuses on corporate diversity and inclusion. We, we help organizations understand how to quantify the benefits of diversity and inclusion and what to do about it. And then Alaria Research, which is a nonprofit that focuses on diversity and inclusion research in areas outside of corporate DNI. And then lastly, QuizD, or the Quantitative Studies of Diversity and Inclusion, which is a research center at the City College of New York. And there we do more core research, we write academic papers and things of that sort. So that's my story. I, again, delighted to be here. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to participate. 
Awesome. Well, again, so excited. Um, what, what I'd love to unpack today is uh, a few things. The first being um, why DNI should be considered essential, uh, how having remote teams impacts DNI, and some tangible takeaways that people can start applying today, tomorrow, to make their remote culture more inclusive. Does that work for you? Perfect. Awesome. Um, well, I read your most recent Forbes article, which was great, by the way. Uh, and you mentioned a triple whammy that is happening to people of color and marginalized groups due to COVID-19. Uh, the first being that people of color and people with disabilities are being impacted at disproportionate health levels. Um, and the second being that a higher ratio of these jobs being cut are actually held by women and people of color. Uh, and the third, that these DNI initiatives are being looked at as nice-to-haves versus essential. Therefore, many of these budgets and roles altogether are being cut. On the other hand, your article actually suggests that diversity and inclusion are actually critical for the success of companies before, during, and after this pandemic. Um, from your experience, why is DNI so critical, and, and why should companies actually see it as essential? That's a really good question. And uh, what I'd like to do to give people an understanding of how we look at diversity and inclusion and specifically how it impacts the performance of a company, I'd like to start with a bit of an analogy. And sometimes I ask people, I say, you know, 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to buy some Bitcoin and I didn't. And now I'm kind of kicking myself. And I'm sure many of you wish that you had bought Bitcoin and that you had Bitcoin. But if I were to suggest that you put all of your retirement savings into Bitcoin, you probably would say that's not a very good idea. And uh, similarly, if we think about marketing and advertising. We've had televisions for a century now, but if I were to suggest that the next time you do an advertising campaign, you put all of your money on TV advertising, you would probably think that was not a very good idea. And, uh, and if we take that analogy further and think about company leadership, you know, white men have been very successful business leaders for centuries, but you know, would you ever consider putting all of your, the majority of your leaders being white and male? And I bring up that example and usually when I get to that point, people pause because they realize that there's something wrong here, right? We can all see that putting all of our retirement savings into Bitcoin is a bad idea. Putting all of our ads into TV is a bad idea. But when you look at companies, even though it feels like it's not the right thing to do, so many companies actually look like that where you have a vast majority of white male leaders. And I think that the reason why that's a, there is that discrepancy is because for financial management, for advertising, for other fields, we have tools that help us to understand how diversification leads to better performance. So whether it's diversifying financial assets to increase your returns, whether it's diversifying your marketing assets through something like programmatic to increase your sales, we have those tools, but there is nothing that can tell us how making a company more diverse is actually gonna make it change its performance. So that means that if I give you a company and I show it to you and it's very homogeneous, you have no way of just looking at it and saying, this is a perfect configuration or it's less than perfect configuration. And if you start to do what so many companies do, like adding diverse people from the bottom up, you know, at the entry level, we have no way of telling whether that's really gonna work very well or not. And likewise, if you have a fully diverse company, we also don't have a way quantitatively of saying, just by looking at the company, it's a better company. And this is what we think is a real problem because it means that companies are uh, trying to understand the impact of diversity, but what they're not seeing is any tangible results because they don't have the tools to help them figure out how to diversify. If you're, if you're saying then that we can't actually see the impact of diversity, how come you feel so strongly that DNI really is critical for the success of companies? 
Yeah. Well, and the key lies in what you just said, which is that DNI, and this is something that we often fall prey to a trap, which is that we talk about diversity and inclusion. But if you look at the vast majority of the work that people do and what they focus on measuring, it's all about diversity. And one of the things that my colleagues and I have realized over the last few years of doing this work is that inclusion is actually crucial in a number of different ways. And uh, what I want to do is maybe give you a little bit of a thought experiment to explain why we think that this is so important. And in fact, I've written some, a number of articles in Forbes and some of them indicating that it's really a bad idea to focus on diversity alone and that we should really focus on inclusion. So imagine, to clarify this, imagine that you have a team and imagine that this team is the perfect team. So you have maybe let's say 10 people and each one of them is working at their peak performance and as a team, they work perfectly together. So this is it, this is the top part. This is 100%, you can't get any better than that. Now suppose that you do something that causes one of the members of the team to be unable to perform at their peak. If that happens, what's gonna to happen to the performance of the team? Well, clearly that's gonna decrease. If you now do it to a second person, the performance is gonna decrease even more and you're gonna to start to get these feedback effects where now the other people have to pick up the slack, they get frustrated, they get less productive, and the, you know, all of a sudden you can get a significant impact on the performance of the team as a whole. Now, you will notice that I've not said anything about race, gender, ethnicity, et cetera, but the punchline of that example is the following. If your company is doing anything at all that causes someone in the organization to be unable to perform at their peak because of their personal characteristics, you're literally shooting yourself in the foot. In other words, it doesn't matter so much what the company looks like, but what matters is that regardless of how individuals look, they feel completely included and they're able to carry out their job regardless of their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, their religious beliefs, or any of the other characteristics that we typically associate with diversity. So that's really the, uh, the key is understanding that ultimately inclusion, diversity is really what you measure, but inclusion is what you actually do. And if you don't mind, if I can have another couple of minutes, I wanted to give an analogy or not an analogy, but an example of why focusing only on diversity is such a bad idea. And the example that I like to give is, you know, without naming names, but if you pick virtually any large tech company, you will find that a lot of their diversity and inclusion efforts are geared toward increasing the recruitment of underrepresented minorities, people of color, women, people with disabilities and so on and so forth. But what we find year after year is that the changes are not that significant. Now, if you think about it, in their minds, they're thinking, well, we want to increase diversity, so we do it through recruiting. But then what happens is that, so let's say, for example, they go to a historically black college and university, and they hire some African-American, you know, young engineer that just graduated from an HBCU. What happens is that these people may go into the organization, and if the organization is not inclusive, they will immediately see things like their manager does not know how to manage them, their leadership does not look anything like them. And worst of all, in their interpersonal relationships with the company, there will be a lot of problems. There will be a lot of friction. When that happens, they're going to leave. And when they leave, what it's going to happen, what it's going to do is that it's going to cause negative reputation because both the people within the company and outside will say, hmm, this is not a really great place to work, for example, for people of color. It's going to create the company to have to go out and rehire people, recruit them, retrain them, et cetera. And that's very costly. And it also creates internal strife because now you have to, again, you have to onboard people and get them up to speed. So that's an example where trying to force diversity without thinking about inclusion can actually backfire. It can actually make things worse in the company. So again, think about what you're doing and that's really all about inclusion. Yeah. 
So how can, how can companies then, or how do you even start to define and quantify inclusion? The way that we do that, it's actually something that, uh, it was a bit of a kind of a, another light bulb moment that my, my co-founders and I had, which was the realization that when we uh, analyze companies, we build these little computer simulations that are literally like a, like a Sims game. And we have to capture the behaviors of individuals in a company and understand how those behaviors and attitudes are influenced by what happens around them. In particular, what we need to understand is that if you are, let's say, an African-American woman, your experience will be radically different, whether your managers are white, male, female, et cetera, whether your peers and all these other parts of the company. So what we needed to understand was what makes those experiences different? And by working with a number of companies, we realized that what we tend to notice and what impacts our work, our, our ability to work on a day-to-day -day basis is not inclusion per se, but it's actually exclusion, right? So there's this weird paradox that inclusion is invisible. It's a bit like health. If I you know, came and introduced myself to you, I wouldn't say, hi, I'm Paolo, I'm very healthy today. But if you'd seen me a few months ago when I had a cast on my leg, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to see it on Zoom anyway. But back before social isolation days, if you'd seen me with a cast, you would have said, oh, what happened? Because again, we tend to notice our health when there's something wrong with it. Similarly with inclusion. We don't notice when we're being included, but we're noticed when we're being excluded. And that revelation was profound for two reasons. One of them is because it made us realize why this is so difficult. And that's because the people that manage companies by and large are the ones that enjoy the greatest level of inclusion. Therefore, they are completely unaware. It's like, if I'm very healthy, I don't know anything about diseases. I may not realize what diseases are there out there. But then the second thing is that it gave us a hint as to how we could actually quantify inclusion. And the way that we do that is we think about understanding what are all the different kinds of things that can happen to make people feel excluded. And very much like, uh, like what you do when you go to a doctor where you get a form that gives you symptoms and it gives you all the diseases that you may have and asks you, do you have this, do you have that? We have come up with a similar formula where we've broken it down into nine broad categories of inclusion. And what we can do is we can literally work with companies and through a combination of workshops and or surveys, we literally ask people, what are times that you felt excluded in these categories? And when that happened, you know, what it, why is it? Is it because of your managers? Is it because of corporate policies, et cetera? And by doing that, we can literally quantify it. We can give a company an X-ray that says, you know, you have, you know, these are the two or three biggest areas. And just to give you an example, there may be things like promotions and career advancement, compensation and benefits. Uh, workplace interactions, recognition and respect, and so on and so forth. So we develop these categories and we can quantify it, which has a number of benefits, but it's a really exciting way to make people much more aware of what is going on inside their companies. That's great. And, and keeping that in mind, um, you know, it begs the question with some of these, these barriers of inclusion, um, what, what does having remote teams um, make it capable to actually remove some of those barriers? How, how does that work? So remote, this dramatic change to remote life, which is something that we're all used to, is uh, really interesting because it's highlighted on the one hand, things that certain groups have always asked for that are beneficial to groups as it relates to diversity and inclusion, but also it highlights some problems. But in terms of the benefits, I would say there are two and they impact both the diversity side of the equation and the inclusion side of the equation. On the diversity side of the equation, there is the uh, ability to recruit talent from a much broader set of geographical areas, socioeconomic backgrounds, 
and and also it has a positive impact in that people that are often marginalized members of underrepresented minorities sometimes feel a lot of stress from having to be in the office every day where they may be exposed to different kinds of microaggressions different kinds of situations that are very difficult again for a you know sort of majority person to notice but those can really grind and for people that are not part of the majority and so having that remote access also makes them feel more included or at least it removes some of those uh, aspects of the day-to-day -day work that can potentially make somebody feel excluded. So those are, I think, are the two primary things. And then there are a number of other uh, things that I personally like. Like I have to say, this is the first time in about a month that I've actually worn a shirt with a collar. <laughs> uh, it's it, there's something nice about the fact that people are used to seeing a more personal side of other people. Now that can also cut both ways, but the fact that I don't feel like I have to be super dressed up all the time. The fact that I don't have to commute to work. Uh, the fact that it's okay to have, you know, if one of my kids were to come in, actually right now, probably one of my, my, my 11 year old is here, but um, if he were to come in, you know, it might be a little bit disruptive, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal. And those kinds of things can be particularly helpful, for example, for parents, that can be helpful for people that have to commute from a long distance. And those are all things that tend to impact disproportionately certain groups of your employers, certain segments of your employers. And so that's another way in which uh, inclusion can benefit from using, from having remote work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with all the, the positive sides to it, there are, of course, some challenges that we need to keep in mind. Uh, what are some of those challenges that you see come up around inclusion with remote teams that we should really be cognizant of? Well, some of them, some of the things that I highlighted as being positive can also have their dark side, right? Uh, one of them is the fact that sometimes you may not want to be seen on camera, right? Sometimes you may want to keep that video off and that can be a little bit awkward, but there is also other issues. For example, I mean, one of the obvious one that is specifically related to diversity and inclusion is the fact that as much as we, and when I say we, those of us that work in tech, especially, tend to take internet access for granted. But it turns out that that's not really a reasonable assumption. And there are, uh, there are some very interesting studies. In fact, very recently, uh, the Pew Charitable Trust released a study in which they showed that uh, access to internet, both in terms of the number of households that have high internet, high bandwidth internet, and in terms of where people access the internet, let's say at home versus a public library, there are some very significant disparities between white people people of color, and, uh, and that also breaks down geographically. So that's one thing that we need to be very careful about is that not everybody has access. Uh, there is also the fact that in, when you're doing a video, especially in a situation like webinars where you're only seeing the panelists, but even if you have a more of a regular meeting where you can see all kinds of people, you lose a lot of the body language. You lose a lot, you can see I move my hands a lot, right? So you can still at least see that. If I was moving my feet, maybe you wouldn't see it as much, but. Uh, the ability to communicate with people in person clearly creates additional cues and additional things that are lost online. And this can be particularly difficult when you're trying to engage people who maybe are introverts. So if you have somebody that uh, is an introvert, it's very easy in a Zoom call to just kind of disappear off in a corner and, uh, and feel like you know, you're not really part of the conversation. And then as you feel excluded, that's not necessarily very good. I would say, uh, you know, some of the other things, uh, there is actually, this is something that I just read a couple of days ago, 
there is a new study that showed that uh, there is an incredible increase in the number of hours that people are working. So the average American worker is now working roughly three hours more per day than we were working before COVID-19, which seems a little bit paradoxical, but it kind of makes sense because you know we're no longer commuting. Lunch is like, literally, I just had lunch, it took me 20 minutes. I walked out my door to the kitchen, had lunch and came right back. And many, and this is where the diversity comes in. Many of the people that, are hit, that have been impacted particularly hard are women who tend to do the majority of caretaking roles. And uh, so that can be a very, very challenging thing. And I think it's extremely important for employers to be mindful of the fact that sometimes the constant Zooms and all these things can be very invasive and that we need to be mindful of the fact that most of us, especially women, have increased the responsibilities and that it can be incredibly difficult when you're up at 7.30, 8 in the morning, you're working, you're connected all the way until 8 o'clock at night and you deal with you know, kids or you know, sick family members or any of those things. Yeah, those are all great points. And and with with that in mind, what are you know what are some of the possible solutions here that you could see happening? Like for example, with the the unequal access technology, uh, I've definitely seen that across the years. And um, I know the companies I've been at have always had a budget to make sure if your if your Wi-Fi is not fast enough, um, having the budget for that so that way you can have that faster band. Um, what are, for some of the things that have come up, what, what do you think could work that we can try to, to really overcome these challenges or address them head on? You know, I would say, uh, <coughs> sorry, and this is not strictly related to diversity and inclusion, although again, as with many of these issues, there tends to be an uneven uh, impact on people. But one of the things is that many people are, even the people that have, you know, Wi-Fi at home, many people are not prepared to conduct their work day in and day out from their home office. I am actually fortunate that here I have a spare room. It's also my tool room, as you can see back there. But, uh, but for example, having comfortable chairs, having proper lighting so that when you're doing Zoom, I, I found this little desk light that's right in front of me. It's actually blinding me because it's like a spotlight. But so that you know, my face is not like completely dark, whatever the case might be. Uh, as I already mentioned the chair, having the ability maybe to, you can see, I'm, you can probably tell I'm standing up right now. Uh, sometimes I think what I'm hoping is that especially as companies consider this a, if not a permanent, at least a long-term solution, making some budget available to give to the employees to say, use it for whatever you need to make your environment as comfortable as possible. And if that means, uh, you know, carving out some space in your house, you know, buying a desk, buying a chair, maybe buying a green screen, you know, nice headphones, those are things that can really make a difference. And, and again, that's where, for some people, uh, that economic impact that may be trivial for some of us could actually be very significant for others. So that would be one example. I think that another example, and this is something that I think we're all learning in real time. There are, I don't know how many articles out that talk about how do you make sure that people are engaged during video calls? It's a really difficult thing to do. And it's something that uh, people are encouraging presenters to do things like, Q&As that are, you know, doing polls, doing games. Also, there are platforms. Zoom has sort of become universal in some ways, but there is a growing number of platforms that provide other things that you can do. Like you can do breakout rooms where different participants can speak to one another. And, uh, and also make sure that if you are the organizer of a meeting, make sure that you're including everybody. Always ask yourself, did I invite all the people that should be invited, et cetera? 
And then during, if it's an actual company meeting, take the time to stop and ask individual people and make sure that you tell them ahead of time that you say, okay, during this meeting, we're going to call on everybody to make sure that you're okay. Ask people how they're doing. And if somebody's not participating, then, you know, ask them. Uh, again, you want to be a little bit respectful because you don't want to catch somebody off guard. But if you make it clear that these are not meant to be one way, you know, it's not a webinar, right? It's a company meeting. We should all be participating. So those are some of the things that you can do. Uh, make sure you have a good camera and good lighting so that you can see some facial expressions and maybe even some body language. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would say those are some of the main things that people can do. Yeah, that's great. And I know we're coming up on time here. So just two more quick questions before we um, get in some of those that have been coming in. Uh, with every company being remote now and considering whether or not to continue it once things start to normalize, aside and along with everything that we've discussed, uh, what is the overarching impact that we can see happening with DNI if companies keep this remote friendly practice post COVID? How can we really be looking at this as an opportunity? Um, to make a positive impact on DNI, so I I have two two ideas that I think are are particularly uh, relevant to that. The first one is sort of the obvious one, which I already kind of mentioned in passing, which is the ability to tap into a broader talent pool, and uh, I think that this is going to be especially beneficial for companies that may reside in parts of the country where it's difficult to get access to diverse talent. And uh, as an example, I was uh, not, not long ago, a few months ago, just before all hell broke loose, I was, at a, I was giving a workshop in Vermont and I was talking about diversity and inclusion and, and some people in the audience pointed out, they said, well, you know, Vermont is a very homogeneous state. There's, there's not nearly as much diversity as if you, you know, even compared to New York and even let's say New York City compared to upstate New York where I am right now. And so I think that right there, the ability to tap into a broader uh, segment of the population by hiring not only around the country, but you could potentially start to hire more people overseas more easily as we develop better, better techniques to do remote work, that'll be great. That's about diversity. I also want to focus on the inclusion side. One of the things that I have argued in, in one of my recent articles, I think the one that you, you mentioned earlier, is that right now there is, as we know, the unemployment numbers are horrific. We have not seen unemployment like, like these since the Great Depression of 100 years ago. And what that means is that right now, if you have employees, the likelihood that they will leave to go work somewhere else is incredibly low. But the moment that things start to improve, if you are not inclusive, if you do not treat your employees right, if you do not have a culture that makes people feel welcome, those will be the first to go. And your best talent is going to have amazing opportunity to just jump ship. So if you learn to be inclusive, if you take advantage of the remote work to embed inclusive practices, you're not gonna be helping just the people that are normally underrepresented, but you're gonna be helping everybody because this ultimately makes everybody's life easier. Flex work is the number one requirement that like every employee, when they talk about their favorite benefit, it's flex time. So if you've set that up and you're willing to continue that beyond the COVID pandemic, whenever that will last, you could be in a really, really strong position by being more inclusive. That's great. Um, I know we're at one minute, so I just one more question, then we'll take one from uh, the audience tuning in. Um, aside from everything we've already gone over, what is the one major thing that we can all do to be a better champion of DNI? You know, that's also a great question. And what I'd like to remind people is that sometimes people think about DNI in the work context, but it, you should not sort of partition your life that way. Diversity and inclusion is something that I would encourage people to embrace in their everyday life. 
we, especially in this country, which is quite a melting pot, there are opportunities. And, and now that everything is online, you can check out shows, you can read books, you can listen to music, you can expose yourself to a variety of experiences that introduce you to other cultures and make you increasingly, increasingly comfortable. And that's also going to make it much easier for you to be comfortable in the workplace with people from different backgrounds. And I think that that's a very important point. And I would also encourage people, since we're doing so much stuff online right now, when we're done with this webinar, go to your LinkedIn profile, go to your Twitter account, go to some of your social media and ask yourself, what, does it, what do the people that I follow look like? How many women of color do I follow? How many times have I retweeted somebody who was not a white man? And I think that you will be surprised because there are tremendous biases that have been documented. So there is something that even just with a minor effort, just make sure that you're being more inclusive in your actions, try to make yourself more comfortable around diverse cultures and environments. And I think that you will see that that has a very, very significant impact in both your personal and your professional life. That's fantastic advice. Um, and I know we're one minute over. We'll just ask one question from the audience. And then, um, you know, if anybody wants to continue the question, you're welcome to, to connect with us and, and continue on LinkedIn or, or so on. Um, Paolo, with, with everything going on with social distancing and some companies going remote overnight, what are some other ways that companies can keep an engaging culture um, while social distancing? Uh, I'm going to say this is something that we still haven't worked out completely. Uh, we're seeing this changing dramatically quickly, but I've seen companies do things like uh, happy hour. And by the way, uh, the term happy hour has a connotation that often, you know, makes one think about alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that can be potentially uh, not a very inclusive uh, approach. In fact, I, I know that for, I mean, I've seen that actually with my wife, for example, when her office has happy hours that tend to be late in the evening and tend to involve drinking. And it's really not very fun for a lot of people. So take advantage of the online opportunity to do things like, I've heard people call them healthy hours or our company, my, my co-founders came up with the idea. We call it the hang. We, you know, we hang one day a week. Uh, we also use, um, and again, I have to give credit with credit is due. This is not, this was not my idea, but it was actually my co-founders came up with the idea of a, uh, uh, of a, cooler water cooler channel in slack so if you use slack create a channel where people can come in and talk about whatever talk about going on a bike ride or buying something or you know having a wonderful day or it's snowing outside in new york on may 13th or whatever the case might be and uh and yeah and then also make sure that you remember there was a very interesting article in hbr that talked about the fact that the way that we learn is not just logical but also emotional and it's incredibly important when you get on webinars or, or company meetings, start by asking people how they're doing, ask them how they're feeling, ask them how their life is going, ask them if they're having any particular problems or issues that are making their life difficult because we're all human beings and we've lost that, hey, I'm in the hallway, let's grab the chair, let's grab a lunch together. And so you really need to go out of your way to create those kinds of opportunities. Yeah, those are awesome. And I think just a couple I'd add on, I've been seeing some great ones come on, um, like using apps like Jackbox, if you want to do like a game night, fitness challenge, we can't go to the gym anymore. Not that I was going before anyway, <laughs> for those that were um, fun ways that we can encourage each other and do at home workouts. Um, and like you said, those those Slack channels for just the fun stuff, like whether it's pets, family, old travel pics, um, things like that make a difference. And when you're doing the team lunches, maybe do a brown bag, have somebody come and teach the group something new or, or do something mm -hmm. 
where instead of a happy hour in the traditional sense, maybe do a, a mixology class or for the healthy folks, learn how to make a green smoothie that tastes really good. Um, yeah. I know we're, we're well over. So um, thank you everybody for, for tuning in. Um, we'll certainly be following up after. So that way you'll have my contact info. You can, you can reach out to me and Paolo if you want to continue the conversation. Um, our team put together a really robust and amazing remote playbook. Um, we'll be sharing that with you as well. Um, so that way you can take those best practices. Um, and we'll be sharing this link. So in case you um, either missed the beginning and you can have a, have a look through and share with your team. Um, with that said, Paolo, thank you so, so much. It was absolutely amazing having you on today. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Raquel. Thank you, Dorian. Thank you, Eric, for the for helping with all the stuff in the background. And again, really appreciate all the panelists. I mean, all the well, the panelists and the attendees for showing up today. And feel free to reach out and uh, contact me. Very easy to find on LinkedIn or through Alaria.tech. So take care, stay healthy, and uh, and let me know if you have any questions. Awesome. Bye, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>